we are at a point in Romans where there is a a little bit of a shift, kind of a lot of a shift. So before we really get deep into Romans 9, we've got to lay some groundwork and build up to what we're dealing with. In Romans 1, we were introduced in the first 17 verses about the power of the gospel. From there, from Romans 1.18 to Romans 3.20, the wrath of God is revealed. And it describes what you and I were by nature, condemned sinners. And in that section, we see that there is no righteousness in us at all. Next in Romans, from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to Romans chapter 5, verse 20, we learn how to become a Christian. That is how to become justified by the Son. It's how we receive God's imputed righteousness. And then what happens in Romans 3.21, Romans 5.20 or 21, is that now Christ's righteousness is now on us. As we move through the chapter, we get to chapter 6, 7, and 8. And we now realize the absolute holiness of God. And, and then it comes to light on Romans 6, 7, and 8, how we should live as a Christian. That is sanctified in the spirit. And we are realized now that not only is Christ's righteousness on us, but in 6, 7, and 8, we learn that Christ's righteousness is now is also in us. Romans chapter 9 is a bit of a parenthetical. It's, it's, it's almost uh, parentheses in between Romans 9, which is Israel's past, is what we will deal with. Romans 10 is Israel's present, which we will deal with. And Romans 11 is Israel's future, which we will deal with. So what does that all mean? Well, we're going to deep dive into all that over the next couple of weeks. But we look at why the question is answered why is Israel set aside? They've rejected the faithfulness of God is the short answer of why God has set the nation of Israel aside. And it will deal with Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, God's righteousness with that nation of Israel. And God will defend his sovereignty regarding their election that nation is an elexie but nationally that elexie that nation nationally they have been set aside but it needs to be dealt with and paul is going to deal with that and for some real important reasons and this is why the narrative now changes when we get to romans chapter number nine what is interesting is the church, that's us, born-again believers, we are, if you will, a parenthesis. We are a parenthetical. Because most of our Bible is all about God dealing with the nation. There's a lot of pages in the book about that. And now there's this church, which we are a part of. But God hasn't finished dealing with his nation. And so right now, there's a time of the Gentiles. It's a parenthesis, if you would. 
because God's going to complete his dealings with Israel. But in the meantime, right now, we are in this church. And so Romans chapter 1 all the way through 8 deals with that. And now we are looking at Israel as the parenthetical as far as the book of Romans. Does that make sense? It's a bit of a flip-flop. You and I are part of a church, not a nation. As part of that church, we don't have any national distinction. I can't say, well, I'm of the Italian band. Well, I'm of the Southern band or I'm of the. None of that makes a difference at all to God. We are all equally in need of a savior. So what happens is. We are not dealing with a message that goes out to a nation. We are dealing with a message that goes out to individual souls. And as individual souls get saved, you can certainly make the argument that that nation will start turning to God. But we're not preaching to a nation. We are preaching to individual souls. That distinction must be made. However, there are some questions that are left unanswered, especially if you're a Jew. Number one, well, what happens to my nation? And then number two, well, what's going to happen with the church? Now, I need to say this by way of uh, doctrinal emphasis. We are not Calvinists. So when we see the word election show up in Romans 9 or Romans 11, we're not going to get lost in the tulip patch. Okay? We're going to understand what those words mean in their context. And we are going to understand our place in God's plan. But Romans 9, 10, 11 also wants us to allow, wants the Holy Spirit to allow us to understand Israel's plan concerning God and his righteousness. He's not done with them yet. The other thing that we are not, and I must say this by way of doctrinal emphasis, we are not replacement theology. We do not believe that God replaced Israel with the church in any way, shape, or form. We believe doctrinally that God set aside Israel and is going to come back and deal with that nation. And we're going to learn about that in these three chapters. A lot of false doctrine can be cleared up if people would stop impersonating Israel. A lot of it could. Israel rejected their Messiah. Their Messiah went to the cross, so Christ starts building his church. Now look at Romans 1. We're introducing Romans 9, and we do need to be in Romans 1 for this thought. And just before we read this verse, when you see politicians trying to convert our nation, you know what that is? conservatives or Christians that are bought into replacement theology. They're trying to convert a nation. And they think the way to convert that nation is to put those leaders over our nation, make them Christians so that they can turn this into a Christian nation. A lot of this replacement theology stuff is going to be worked out in Romans 9 and in Romans 10 and Romans 11. Now, that is not to say, look, I, I want a Christian leader. We can all agree with that. I want an individual who is saved that is going to govern 
not only his own life by the Bible, not only his family's life by the Bible, but if he has a position of leadership as a businessman or as a politician or as a governor or as a mayor or as a president, I want that guy to be governed by the word of God. <laughs> and, I, and I will vote for, I'm thankful that we have the freedom to do that. But this idea, look, the majority of the population doesn't want that. They will vote in, well, you see what we got. I mean, we went from Slick Willie to, to uh, and now all of a sudden, now we've got, you know, Sleepy Joe. He don't know our nation. <laughs> our nation is not doing well with the leaders that it elects. Well, the orange man will do better. I mean, okay, maybe in some things, but I mean, look, we're talking about putting men up on pedestals that should not be put up on pedestals. Now, I don't know this missionary very well, but I've met him once, heard him preach, and and heard about him. He his ministry is to Washington, D.C. And the only thing he's trying to do is give the gospel to those people. You see, that's a missionary. That's a preacher that's got this thing figured out dispensationally. He understands, look, I'm not trying to get a nation to convert. I'm trying to get an individual to convert. That's the big thing with this replacement theology stuff. But in Romans chapter number one, look at verse number uh, 16. We saw already when we preached, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The Jew got the gospel first, but they rejected it as well. Not only did they put Christ, their Messiah, on the cross, but they rejected the preaching of the cross after their Messiah was rejected. Rejected. So Israel now is scattered to the ends of the earth. They've been driven off their land. Why? They've been driven off because of their unbelief. They have no blessing of their land right now. They have been dispersed throughout the world. Well, what about 1948? Well, 1948, the UN did some things down here politically. But we don't have a fulfilled prophecy of Ezekiel 37 with this dry bones coming together. God's going to breathe life into that nation. We're going to learn all that through Romans 9, 10, and 11. You can look and see God's providence and you can make that application. But that land, that land, they've been scattered. God's going to breathe life into that nation. But he didn't do it in 1948. Some things happened physically down here, politically. But there's still some prophetic stuff that will be fulfilled with his nation. So, we have a dispersion now throughout the world. And so now the question to a Jew is, well, where is God's faithfulness? For us. God, you made some promises to us. God said in the Old Testament, look, I'll bless you through circumcision. I'll bless you through the obedience of my law. My presence will be in the most holy place. Now you're saying that our elect nation is now replaced with an elect church? 
And Romans 9, 10, and 11 says, no, you have not been replaced. You have been set aside for a time, but you have not been replaced. So how do we reconcile these differences with this nation and now this church? Go to Luke 13. I'm going to show you some, some truth in there. Luke 13. Luke chapter 13 will be in verse number 40, 45. Luke 13, verse, uh, verse 34, rather. Luke chapter 13, verse number, okay, here it is, 34. All right, we, we've read this before. You know this passage. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stoneth them that were sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings and ye would not exclamation point. God says, look, my will is that I gather all you. I want all of you. Israel's will was, nah, forget you. We'll reject you. We'll put you on the cross. We'll hear the preaching of the cross and we, we just unbelieve. We don't want to hear it. You know what God says? Verse 35, behold, your house is left desolate. Is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What does that all mean? We're going to see this morning. We're going to see this morning. God has a plan for his earthly people, the nation. It is his chosen elect nation. We went through all the six designations of election in the Bible a few messages ago. So you can go back and listen to that. But that will put all of those designations in its context. But we, as New Testament Christians, must be careful that we don't make the same mistake that a Jewish man would make back in Paul's day. This Jewish calendar was filled with feasts and sacrifices and temples and altars and laws and obeying them. That was, that was their yearly calendar. Now they're in Christ. In a church. As individual elect people, not as a nation. And they bring all of that into the church. Can you understand why? Imagine being a Jew in Paul's day and you got saved. Oh, wait, no more Sabbath. That's a tough thing. This is why I say over and over again, if you look at America's church calendar, it's filled with holy days, holidays, whatever you want to call them, sprinkled throughout the year, and the church designs their calendar around that. And if you're born in America and you bring all of that into the church, I'm just saying we need to be careful on how much tradition we really are holding on to more than the word of God. I know if I was a Jew and I got saved back in Paul's day, it'd be real hard for me to tell my family we're not doing the Sabbath anymore. Dad, we've done it. Oh, no, but we're, we're part of this church now. That's a tough thing. 
tough thing. So what becomes of God's promises to the Jews? He's going to turn his attention back to Israel, but right now he's dealing with the church. And you know what's going to happen from all over the world? The temple's desolate. They've been scattered abroad. We're in the times of the Gentiles. Before God starts to deal with that nation, the church is going to be caught up. And now the clock is going to start to tick again. You know what's going to happen? All of those Jews that have been scattered from all over the world, they're going to come back to one place. They're going to have a temple again. The daily sacrifices are going to be brought back. They're going to be in their land. And then God is going to tell them, when you see the image set up in that temple, you flee, you flee your temple. You flee your temple. You flee your sacrifice. Let's go to Daniel 9, because we got to get this. Daniel 9. Daniel 9. Look at Daniel 9, verse number 27. Daniel 9, verse 27. The Bible says, And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Midway through Daniel's 70th week, the church is caught out. When the church is caught out, Israel scattered. The church gets called out. God starts dealing with Israel again. They're going to come back to their land. They're going to come back to the, the temple is going to be there. They're going to have daily sacrifices. All of this going, is going to be happening. But midway through Daniel's 70th week, there's going to be a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. God is going to allow the Antichrist to set up an idol in that temple. And when he does that, they're going to remember Exodus 20, verse 5. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image. And you know what they're going to do willingly now? They're going to leave their land and their temple and their sacrifices and everything that they put their hope and faith and their dreams in that was more important to them than God was. They wanted the physical blessings that God gave them. But God told them, when you see that idol in the temple, you flee to the wilderness. You know what they're going to do? They're going to flee. They're going to leave what they said they loved before because they are finally going to trust God. So it says in Matthew 24, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Matthew 24 is dealing with Daniel's 70th week. And that's why it references back to this passage in Daniel that we're reading. Stand in the holy place, who so readeth, let them understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. In Numbers chapter number 13, God told them, go ahead and conquer Canaan. Go ahead, take your land. Joshua and Caleb believed God. 
The other 10 spies said, we don't believe you, God. So you know what God said? All right, go ahead out in the wilderness. You think they wanted to go into the wilderness? They sure did. They all died there. None of them got to enter. Half the generation died off in the wilderness. None of them got to enter kingdom. Joshua and Caleb did. You know what's going to happen when God deals with Israel during that Daniel 70th week? It's an absolute flip. They are going to want to go into the wilderness. They will flee into the mountains because they see the idol set up and they finally trust God. So they flee into the mountains willingly and they trust God that they won't die. They trust God that he will protect them from their enemies. They trust God that he will feed them. He will clothe them. They finally are going to come to a place where they trust God and they love him more than they love the promises that he said he would give them. Praise the Lord. In the past, all those physical promises were more important to them than God. We want the land blessing, God. Now they flee because they trust him. He is more important to them. Finally, he is more important to them than the stuff they get from him. God's going to deal with that nation. They say, well, well, Jimmy, I'm not a, I'm not a Jew. If you say the church is going to get caught up, I'm not going to go through that. Well, praise the Lord. But let me ask you, as a born-again, saved child of God, are the spiritual blessings that God has given you more important to you than the blessing giver? Are the physical blessings that we have more important to us than God? We caught up with some old acquaintances this past Sunday at church and visiting. I haven't seen them in years. No country church. They probably don't even have as many pews as we do. And during that service, for the first time in a while, I appreciated having padded pews. Ladies, can I get a witness? <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. All the adjectives. It's okay. You can do it for a 10-minute sermon. 20-minute, okay. But we better speed up the song service. Because this sitting on wood isn't going to cut it. Would any of you think? I mean, it's a blessing. I'm not saying I want to go to wooden pews. I'm saying it's very, very easy to get comfortable, especially as an American. Especially as an American. And I don't think that we think about that as much because we just think it's always going to be here. What if it's not always going to be here? And God's going to say to that nation during that tribulation, you guys are going to get nothing from me except the promise. That if you obey me to flee into the mountains, I'll protect you. Honey, we're going to go live out in the woods. Oh, go ahead. I'll see you. Uh, when it, the cabin's built. <laughs> Everybody's for reading the stories about the pioneers. 
we went and saw the Laura Engels Wild House. You know, they built this real person, wrote these books, and, you know, they, they built their own house. Took them 17 years. They kept adding on to it as they grew. And real story, true story. And, you know, they lived in one little tiny thing for like a year and stayed married. In that time. I mean, that's, a, that's a blessing. Amen. Look, what I'm saying is, are we honestly, are we as God's people, are we going to trust God or are we only going to trust him based on the creature comforts that he provides for us? I'm putting forth, I think you know what I'm putting forth. I need to be there as much as I'm asking you to be. They finally trust God. Praise the Lord. And then you know what happens? God turns the lights. They flee to the mountains. God provides. God turns the lights out. The sun doesn't give any light. The moon doesn't give any light. The stars fall. It gives no light. It's completely dark. And they're out there. And then you know what happens? A light comes from heaven. <laughs> Here he comes. They will say, blessed is the name of the Lord. Saul saw that light of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, that light came down. That's why Matthew 24 talks about as a lightning, God's going to come on back. And finally, they're going to look to him on whom they have pierced. That's what Zechariah 12 is talking about. They will finally mourn for him. They will finally look to him. He will come. And then guess what? All of Israel will be saved. God put Israel aside. He didn't replace it with the church. Oh, he's got a lot, a lot of prophetic plans for Israel. Bible says in Joel 2, you don't have to turn there. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said. And in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. That's Joel 2, 31 and 32. Well, how do you have whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered if Joel was an Old Testament prophecy? To Israel. Aren't we supposed to call upon the name of the Lord? This is the distinction I'm trying to draw out for us this morning. Joel 2. Is a prophetic promise. That the remnant of Israel. Will be saved. When they flee to the mountains. And the Lord comes back. And that light comes down. Now they will call upon the Lord. And they will trust Christ. Joel 2 is not for the church. Joel 2 is for when God comes back and deals with that nation. They will finally put their faith and trust. And that's why when we get to a Romans 11, it will say, and so all Israel shall be saved. Does that make sense? As a nation. As an elect nation, not as elect individuals. Now, remember I said at the beginning, we're not Calvinists. If all Israel shall be saved, how do we? If the nation is elect, which they are. And Romans 11 says all Israel shall be saved and they will. 
How do we answer the question that says, yeah, but all of them didn't flee? Because those that don't flee to the mountains will be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed. The answer we read was in Joel 2. You know what it was? Joel 2, verse 32, I believe it is. And the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. There's always been a remnant, and there always will be a remnant. And that remnant represents that nation. And when that remnant flees, they're all going to look up, call upon the Lord, they'll trust Christ, and they'll be saved. Calvinism don't work. You have elect, an elect nation. Every individual in that nation isn't, that's not, it's a remnant. It's a remnant. They have to choose to obey God and flee into the mountains. Now, we're not asked to flee into the mountains, but if God asks us to do something now, we can see it in the New Testament, what he asks us to do. We better by faith obey him. So I put a lot of emphasis on evangelism. I believe we should all be obeying that. I believe if I dial that down by default, people will just do less of it. I just figure if I dial it up and emphasize it more, people just, I mean, I, I think that principle works. Don't, and I'm sorry, but that's how I've, you know, weighed it out in my mind. I mean, you think about it with your kids. You got to keep telling them, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. I told you 10 times, clean your room. Finally, at the end of the week, it's like kind of halfway there. Oh, oh, praise the Lord. Imagine if you just said clean your room on Monday. You wouldn't be able to walk in there on Friday. You got to keep saying the same thing over and over. So I just, thanks for that one. I don't have to fish for it. <laughs> all right. So we got all that. Now go to Romans 3 because I'll look at one more thought here and then we'll close and we'll have to finish up. Uh, we'll finish up this afternoon at 2. But go to Romans chapter 3, and the last thought I'll have for you. Romans 3. And I'll tell you, talk about evangelism. We were at this, uh, uh, this thing in Branson. We spent like four days in Branson, Missouri. And... Uh, we're in line. This guy, he has his leather jacket, real, I mean, tough-looking guy. Tough, big, big old boy. And on the back of his jacket, he had the Masonic third eye, the symbol. And it said, Master Mason. You all a bunch of people. I said, Lord, I want, I want to witness this. But I can't let him have it. Fine. So... We went and sat in a little area. We were done the ride. We were done this ride. We went and sat in these little Adirondack chairs. They had some shades. We went and sat there because the kids wanted to run and do another ride. On we sat and watched. We can see him. This Mason comes sits down next to us. You're Mason. This is phenomenal. I get to witness to this Satan worship. It was one of the best conversations I've had. He's as lost as he can be. Oh, he's so lost. He gave all the Mason answers, you know. 
he thinks he's helping humanity, being a good person. He, he gave me all of it. I gave him the gospel like four different ways. And I said, uh, what is stopping you? You're a 31 degree mason. I said, what's stopping you from your 32nd and then your 33 degree? He said, he said, man, I'm out here with my family. I just think my family's more important than going to all these meetings, sitting in a room with a bunch of men and all that. He began to open up a little. What I came away with that conversation was this. Sometimes a man's family can stop him from going deeper than he should go. This man's name is Joe. He got our he got a track from Pilgrim Baptist with our website. He's got our phone number. And I said, why don't you just go ahead and download the sermon app and just start following us and listening. He said, all right, I'll, I'll do that. Why don't you start praying for Joe? I believe God can save satanic masons. I believe he can. But it's going to be his power. And you just don't know what type of opportunities God is going to open up to. So anyway, that's that. And then so this last last thought, and then it will really be the last thought. My wife says, you say this is the last verse, but it's never the last verse. Uh, is we need to deal with in Romans chapter 3. We'll answer this question. What advantage then hath the Jew? In Romans chapter 3, uh, where is it? It's in the first couple of verses. Verse number two, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. That's the Jew. Verse number one, it's right there in front of me. Verse number one, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? And so what happens is Paul has to deal with this because this is in front of him all the time. There's all these Jews that are getting saved. And so this Jewish relationship to Christianity was a very vital one in Paul's day. So his legal defense for justification by faith, we, we can we're in, write in that verse. Watch what verse 21 says. But now, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. He made his defense for this doctrine of justification by the law and prophets. So we have now this Jewish perspective that's going to create some difficulties and objections for Paul, and he's got to be able to answer them. Number one is, are you saying that faith removes our national distinction? I mean, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ. Paul has to be able to answer this for them. Are you saying that faith usurps our Jewish mark of circumcision? And so Paul has to answer all of this. You're telling us we're part of an elect church now? Wait, I thought we were an elect nation, Paul. What's going on? Come on, Paul. We never let a Gentile become a member of our Jewish nation. What's up? So Paul has to answer this. You're telling me, Paul, I've got to drop all my Jewish distinctions to be part of this church? So in Paul's day, there's a lot of that that has to be answered. So that's our introduction to now what now how Paul's going to deal with that in Romans 9 and Romans 10 and in Romans 11. They're beautiful three chapters. I'm really excited about it. And so, But that's all we have for this morning. Come on back at 2 and we'll do some more in the first three verses of that chapter.